So I'm going to be sharing a story in a moment from Mark chapter 10, verse 46 to 52. You can go there. But before I want to do that, I want to introduce this guy here. This is Simon Smith. And uh, in February 2016, Simon Smith caught the national press because in a slightly crazy drunken night out, Simon Smith changed his name, true story, to Bacon Double Cheeseburger. Yeah, he did. Uh, you can make it. I want to literally read from the paper. It says, it's lit- this is what it says. This was in the, uh, in the Evening Standard. It says, Cheeseburger, aged 33 told the newspaper his new moniker is the most ridiculous thing that he and his friends could think of. But Cheeseburger said that his fiancée, Isabella, has a beef about the new name. (laughs) This wasn't April Fool, by the way. He then said, my fiancée is fairly reluctant about marrying a cheeseburger. He told the Evening Standard, that's something we're discussing a lot. Not every girl dreams of spending her day marrying a man whose name is Bacon. That's uh, crazy. But names are important, aren't they? And we've just had that experience this morning of the, of the naming and the recognizing of the name. Names have meaning. I wonder if you know what the meaning of your name is. Well, I know the meaning of my name. I, when my mom and dad, they had me 48 years ago, and they looked down at me as a baby, and they, they named me Matthew because Matthew means gift of God. I was expecting a cheer, but never, but never mind. <laughs> Gift of God. It, and it's like when, when, when Philip Jackson, when his parents looked at Phil, and they looked at him, and they looked at this little baby, they thought, there is a lover of horses. Because <laughs> that's what Philip means, lover of horses. And uh, we love you, Phil. So names are really, really important. And in the story today, the guy that we're going to read about, he has a name which actually would have been very humiliating for him. And, uh, and we'll discover why in a moment. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn it on or open it up? This will appear on the screens as well. And I, I want to journey through this passage. And, and we're going to talk this morning about how God is in the business of rewriting our stories. Like, I know that there are many people here today who you would, you would say that that's part of your story, that God has rewritten your story. You thought your story was going in a certain way. And in a really good way, God's rewritten it. He has changed the ending. And that's what God is in the business of doing. And uh, and we see this in this story. So here we go. Then they came to Jericho. This is the Jesus and his disciples. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. The city is Jericho, and they are now on a road to Jerusalem. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And let me just kind of stop there just for a moment. So Bar Timaeus, Bar means son, Timaeus, son of Timaeus. That, that's what his name means. It would be like me calling, being called son of Anthony. My dad's name is Anthony. And, uh, and that was very, very popular in the culture at the time. You, you see quite a few bar something or others in the scripture because it was a popular thing to do, to call someone son of Timaeus. But the thing is, Timaeus means highly prized. So Bartimaeus' name was son of the highly prized. But you couldn't meet a guy who felt less prized than Bartimaeus. Like, for example, he was blind. 
And actually, when, when Jesus, later on in the story, as we look, asks him what he wants Jesus to do for him, and he says, I want to see, the words that are used in the original text, because the New Testament is originally written in Greek, literally means, I want to see again. This is a guy who once could see, and then somehow along the way in life, he lost his eyesight. And in the culture of that time, even though it was a wrong belief, people would have thought, well, this guy has obviously done something really badly wrong, and the loss of his eyesight is judgment on God. God, uh, judgment on him, judgment from God on him. You know, there are still people today, terrible things are said, but when something bad happens, there are people, even people, religious people, who would say, oh, that's a judgment of God. If you want to know what the judgment of God is on the brokenness of this world, you have to look at the cross of Jesus Christ. That is God's judgment of the world. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And so he would have felt judged simply because he'd lost his eyesight. He was blind. He was also a beggar. Uh, And so this was considered, of course, the lowest of the low. This is someone who would not work, could not work, refused to work. And so the very best he could hope for is a few shekels being thrown his way. But much more likely, he would have been regularly spat upon, regularly kicked, insulted, offended. He's a blind beggar. Doesn't feel very highly prized. And the third thing is he's an outcast. He's standing somewhere between Jericho and Jerusalem. Jericho was a thriving metropolis. It, was a, it had been remade. It was an incredible city. People went there to spend vast amounts of money. It was the archetypal place of consumerism where the whole worldview of Jericho is life is about getting, get as much stuff as you can. He was not welcome there. He had nothing to offer that way of life. And yet he was not welcome in Jerusalem, which was, which was understood to be the religious center of the nation, the place where the temple is, where the action happens, the place of forgiveness. He was not welcome there. And so here he is, blind beggar, outcast. This is a man who does not in any sense live up to his name. He needs his story To be rewritten. Because if it continues as it is, he just knows it's just going to go from bad to worse. Like they're literally in his present situation, there is no hope for Bartimaeus. No hope at all. He will just grow old and he will die. And in the context of this, he calls out. He's obviously heard something about Jesus. And and this is the thing about these stories. When we read these stories, we always read them from, from hindsight. But remember, this is in an age where Bartimaeus was not, uh, didn't have access to Facebook or social media or emails or mobile phones. None of those things. And so anything he has heard about Jesus, he's literally heard through word of mouth. He doesn't know very much about Jesus, but he knows enough to reach out. There are some of us here, and you're holding back on fully saying yes to Jesus, fully inviting him in your life, because you think, I need to know more, I need to know more, and you should know more. We want to all have a sense of faith that's not blind faith, but reasonable faith. Beyond reasonable doubt, we know that God is there and that Jesus is with us and for us. That's a good thing to do. But, but some of us, maybe even this morning, we know enough just to reach out and believe that he might reach out and reach back to us. 
And it's interesting to see how he addresses Jesus. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That phrase, son of David, was the title that was given to the Jewish Messiah. So somehow in what he's heard, Bartimaeus thinks that Jesus might just be the Jewish Messiah. Basically, the hope of the world. Now, even the Jews, even Bartimaeus doesn't know that the Messiah is Jesus, but more than that, that the Messiah is God. The Jews are expecting and were expecting their Messiah, but they didn't believe that this would be God. So he reaches out to Jesus. He reaches out and he says, Messiah, hope of the world, have mercy on me. I've heard enough to reach out to you, and reach out he does. But what he's about to discover in the story is that Jesus is not just hope. He is not just help. He's not just practical. He's not just in the business of working a little miracles. But in Jesus, there is forgiveness of sins. There is healing of bodies. There is new life. There is changing of eternal destinies. There is sight for the blind. There is healing and forgiveness. There is so much that this Jesus wants to offer because this Jesus isn't just the Messiah. And he isn't just a rabbi, which he's called later, which just means good teacher. Some people just want to relegate Jesus to just being a good teacher. But what what this man Bartimaeus is about to discover is Jesus is so much more than that. He is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. He is the king of kings and savior of the world. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the lamb that was slain. He is the way, the truth, the life. And no one comes to the father except through him. He is the doorway to our destiny. He is the shepherd of our life. He is the holy one of the church. He is the resurrection of the life and the bread of life. He is everything our soul longs for. He is the Prince of Peace and Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God and the Everlasting Father. He is everything we need, everything we were created for. And that is who Bartimaeus is reaching out for in this moment. He doesn't even know it, but he knows enough. He knows enough. And so he reaches out in verse 48. says, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. I love that. There are some of you here this morning and people are saying to you, what are you doing in church, for goodness sake? What are you doing? Like, why are you going there? Like, it's, all, it's all done. Church is all done. Like, you know, it's all that religious stuff. And if you've been coming to our church anytime, you know we're not interested in religion at all here. We're interested in relationship with God and relationship with each other. That's what Jesus came to bring. So there will always be people who say, why are you doing that? Be quiet. Leave the Messiah alone. Verse 49, it says, Jesus stopped. Because that's what he does, friends. When you reach out to him, whoever you are, whatever you've done, however messed up and broken your life is, if you reach out to Jesus, he will stop and reach back. Stop. And says, call him. So they called to the blind man. I love the way they say this. They say, like, cheer up. It's great. Cheer up. On your feet, he's calling you. I love this about Bartimaeus, this persistence. There's something in Bartimaeus, like even though everyone's saying, just, just zip it. There's something in Bartimaeus that says, I'm not missing out on my miracle. I'm just, I'm going to keep going and keep growing. I'm going to speak, speaking. I'm going to keep shouting. I don't care what anyone thinks about me. I don't care if I look embarrassed or humiliated. I mean, he can't see anyway, so I guess he doesn't know what people are doing. But like, he's just like, I'm going to keep going till I get my answer. And he gets Jesus' attention. Verse 50 to 52, the last part of the story. 
It says, throwing his cloak aside, Bartimaeus jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. And then Jesus asked this interesting question. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the way. Now we might think like, well, that's a bit of an odd thing to do. Why would Jesus say, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, that would like, like be fairly obvious, you know. I like to see. Can you not tell? Like the people who brought me to you. And the reason that Jesus did that is not because Jesus didn't know, but because Jesus always wants us to be real and always wants us to come to him and just say, this is me. To admit, to be vulnerable. You know, a lot of when Jesus was around, when he was speaking, he had this little phrase. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And this word repentance literally means to change your mind, to change your thinking. To get to a place where you admit, you know what? I think God would do a better job of running my life than I would. Because he made me. And so I'm willing to admit I've not got my life together. I'm not perfect. I don't have the capacity to fix everything. And so I will, I will turn to the one who can. And I will admit to him that I am broken and I need his help. Jesus always responds to people like that. He always responds to people like that, as he did. We, we heard so many incredible stories this week when we were away. I want to just tell you one of them. And, uh, and it was a story of a, an Afghanistan man uh, who, who was uh, with his family one night. And a knock came to his door. And a Taliban officer came to his door and said to him, um, I want to marry your 12-year-old daughter. And, uh, and the father, he had a number of kids, and he said, no, 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 you can't do that. She's just 12 years old. You, you can't do that. This was, you know, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't let you do it. And the Taliban officer said to him, well, I'm going to come back tomorrow, and, uh, and you have a choice. Either you let me take your 12-year-old daughter, and I will take her away, and I'll marry her. She'll be with the rest of your life, or I will kill you and all of your family. That is the choice that you have. And so the man left, and... Uh, the husband, the father, like he put his kids and wife to bed and he got down on his knees and he prayed to Allah that Allah would intervene and Allah would intercede in this. But the room felt silent. But he'd heard enough about a Christian God. He'd heard enough. He hadn't heard much, but he'd heard enough. And so in this moment, he got on his knees and, and he literally prayed a prayer that went like this. To the Christian God. Save my family. Save my family. If you are there, if you are real, save my family. And in this moment, some of you are going to get your minds blown now. In this moment, he said, the room suddenly lit up. And a man stood in front of him, which we would say was Jesus. And the man stood in front of him and said, if you're hungry, I will clothe you. If you're, if, if you're hungry, I will feed you. If you are naked, I will clothe you. If you are without hope, I will bring you hope. Now flee right now with the whole of your family. Flee now. And so the man is bowled over by this experience. He gets his children together, his whole family together, and they literally flee the house, and they flee the country, and they, they arrive just like many people have done in, in Athens, on a boat in Athens. And as they arrive in a boat in Athens, they're greeted by uh, a youth group from a church called Word of Life. Now, 
yonks and yonks early, months and months earlier, when all this refugee crisis was, was kind of kicking off, the, the minister of that church really felt like God had challenged him, a guy called Joachim, had challenged him to, to basically say, you need to be a church that welcomes the refugee. If no one else wants them, you've got to be different. And so he literally put banners outside, and wherever refugees were coming into the country, he had people in all of his churches, all across Europe, right down in Athens. And as this, this guy arrives on the boat, and the boat hits the shore, he sees this youth group from Word of Life Church holding up banners. And do you know what the banners say? If you're hungry, we will feed you. If you're naked, we will clothe you. If you are without hope, we will give you hope. And so he went to them. He gave his life to Jesus. The whole family came to Jesus. And now they're living for Jesus in those churches. Jesus is real. And he knew enough. He knew enough to reach out. He didn't know much. But he knew enough. And Jesus always reaches out. Bartimaeus reaches out and his whole story is rewritten. His whole story is rewritten when he reaches out to Jesus. You see, the truth is he didn't get healing. His whole life would have changed. Because now no one's looking on him in judgment anymore. Like he can go and live somewhere now. He, he can be a member of an active community. All of those lids, all of those barriers. In a moment, Jesus lifted every single one. His whole story was rewritten because that's what Jesus is in the business of doing. That's why Jesus came to earth to rewrite yours and my story. See, my story without God doesn't look good. But Jesus came to rewrite the story. And, and, and let me be really clear about this, that when I'm saying this, I'm not saying that if you say yes to Jesus, everything will be fine. Every sickness will be healed. Every person you know won't die. Uh, every job will immediately come your way. Talk to Keith two years. But let me tell you, God has rewritten the story of this couple's life. They are different people today. Because in the midst of their storm, they didn't stick their fingers up at God and be mad at him. And that would be understandable in our frustration where you're like, God, if you love me, why are you letting this happen? No, in their storm, in their struggle, they pushed into God. And we prayed with them and we wept with them and we joined with them and we spoke life over them. And they, they came and they kept going and they kept serving and they kept on. And Jesus is faithful. He's rewriting the stories. The most famous story of all, Jesus comes and he shows us how to live life to the full. He shows us what God is really like because he is God come as a man. And then he came to do the most amazing thing. To rewrite the story that all of us dread the most. The story of death. And so they arrested him and they tortured him until he was almost dead. Ripped the beard off his face, drove nails into his wrists, into his feet. They beat him front and back with a, with a whip. They hung him on a cross. And after six hours, he was dead. They put his broken body in the grave. And everyone, even his disciples thought, that is the end of the story. But Jesus is in the business of rewriting the story, friends. 
He is in the business of rewriting the story. And three days later, this Jesus, who is God, who is everything he said he is, he rolled back the tomb, he rose into resurrection life, and he is alive today. And he's saying to each and every one of us, I have rewritten the story of death. I've rewritten it. Now, what does that tell you? What does the whole resurrection of Jesus tell you? It will mean that you and I will go through death unless Jesus comes first. We will physically die. All the people that Jesus healed did eventually die. And sometimes not even in physical death, but we will experience death in life. The the death of a relationship. The death of a job. The death, it seems, in our finances. The death in our emotions. We will experience all the time death and dark places. Jesus never promised that we wouldn't. He's not Father Christmas. He's not Santa. He's a savior. That's what he does. He saves us. And he doesn't save us by clicking our, his fingers and just making everything all right. He says, I'll be with you and I'll get you through. I prayed for three years that my marriage wouldn't end. Every single day. Prayed on my knees. God, I'm a pastor of a church. How can that possibly happen? And it did. It died. But I'm I'm here to tell you that Jesus has rewritten my story. He's rewritten my story. And and people might have looked on. I know you didn't because you are an amazing church. But might have looked on and said, he's finished. And the enemy said to me, I'm finished. But I'm telling the enemy, oh no, I've only just begun. I have only just begun. So sometimes we go through death and Jesus rises us from the uh, grave. You know, we're we're talking at the moment and I believe it like we've been talking like this is a brand new chapter. As I uh, take on the privilege of leading this church full time, it feels like a new chapter. Zio feels like a new chapter. Margaret Stunt prophesied over me last week. She said, Matt, it's not a new chapter. It's a new flipping book. God has given you a brand new book. This is a brand new story that you're about in this moment. God is rewriting everything. Death has been swallowed up in victory. In victory.